Welcome to the Leader's Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leader's Edge. In this second installment of our new Government Affairs podcast, we hear from Council President Joel Wood and Government Affairs SVP Joel Kopprud, along with special guest Representative Mike Carey from Ohio. Joel and Joel give an update on the issues they're tracking on the Hill, including the FTC non-compete proposed rule, PBM transparency, and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And Representative Carey discusses his committee work, bipartisanship, and what his constituents are most concerned about. Enjoy the podcast. Joel, Joel, it's great to have you here with me as always. It is our pleasure. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yes, we are excited to have our second installment of the new Government Affairs podcast that we've just started. But before we get to that conversation, we're going to get a little bit of an update from you all on just kind of what's going on in the world of Government Affairs right now. So first of all, I know you have some uh, new updates on the FTC proposed rule. Yeah. Before we get to that, can I just uh, extend a congratulations and say how good it is to be joined by the council's new president, uh-huh. Joel Wood? Uh, he is. This is obviously the, his familiar territory. I'm honored to step, try to fill his big shoes in this role as senior vice president of government affairs. But he, no one knows this space better than Joel, so it's an honor to have him with us, particularly when we talk about the FTC rule to ban non-compete agreements. I don't think I've seen our members. Um, as actively uh, frustrated with a rule coming out of Washington as they have with this rule that was just proposed a couple weeks ago. And we're engaging via Steptoe and Johnson and partnerships across Washington with the Chamber of Commerce and over 100 other trade associations to fight this rule. Um, But we'll be submitting comments around the corner here to at least, at the very least, try to rein it in uh, to make it somewhat more palatable for our members. But Joel. Uh, and thank you for your kind words. It is uh, gratifying and congratulations to you. Uh, how many years you've been here? I think 15. 15 and I'm 30. So uh, uh, this FTC rule uh, is, uh, yes, uh, it, it, it arguably, since the, um, in terms of a game changer for industry practices, uh, it it is, right up there with the Elliott Spitzer Inquisition into broker compensation in 2004-2005. As a practical matter, you know, the the notion that hourly workers at McDonald's are signing non-competes that prevent them from being able to flip burgers across the street for Burger King is something that we have no issue with, with the banning of that. The, the problem is that uh, non-solicitation agreements um, you know, are so common in the brokerage space and uh, they could be under this FTC proposed rule, uh, could be conflated into being non-competes. Uh, and, um, and, and, and moreover, the, the actual authority under which the FTC has to make this rule uh, is highly questionable. They did it under a provision of the FTC Act that has never been utilized before for something this sweeping in scope. And furthermore, it cannot be squared with the West Virginia versus EPA Supreme Court decision with respect to regulatory overreach. Uh, that said, um, there's a whole bunch more chapters in this. Uh, comments are still coming, flowing in. We've gotten a number from our members. And you know, I, I'm not losing. I'm not staring at my ceiling at the middle of in the middle of the night, 
worried that this is going to be destructive to the brokerage sector, but it's uh, it is something that everybody needs to keep an eye on. <clears throat> That's right. It's hard to see. It's hard for me to see how this actually reaches the finish line uh, the way it's proposed with over 100 associations, business associations in town opposing this thing. The Chamber of Commerce is, uh, you know, questioning. And I think from all the legal scholars that I'm hearing from are probably right in that the FTC doesn't have the authority to, to reach this far. So it's certainly going to be challenged in the courts. It's likely to be challenged legislatively. There's already a growing divide within the Democratic caucus on this issue. We've got a lot of champions that are carrying the water for the business community in our fight. And there's a lot on the other side that are saying the FTC should go this far. But I'm sure the Republican side of the aisle is going to be united against the FTC. So if it were to fail in the courts, which I don't think it would, um, I, th I would imagine that the courts would decide that the FTC doesn't have this, this authority. But if, if I'm wrong on that, it's hard to see how legislation would not pass the Congress to limit um, their ability to enforce this. So I see lots of channels to fight this, um, but we are we are at the very first battle right now. Uh, the chamber uh, had a big win recently by asking for an extension uh, for the business community to comment on this. They won that extension. It gives us an additional 30 days to get our ducks in a row. Um, that's good. That's a good sign. Uh, but yeah, this is the first of many battles around the corner, I think, on this issue. So a little bit more time, if anyone listening is interested in, in sending in comments to you all, now's Send the time. Away. Yep. All right. Okay, another big issue that you all have been working on for a long time um, that I bet does keep you up at night, Joel, the PBM transparency work that you all have been um, working on for a while. Let us, uh, give us an update on that. Sure, I think that, um, I'm sorry, when you say Joel, we both fresh talk for you. <laughs> I know, well, it's to both of you. Um, you just start saying liberal Joel versus conservative Joel, That's just identify. No, we're changing that. We're Joel, Joel works across the aisle now, so it's so, no um, It's, you know, the, I, when I'm out among our member firms, and I'm um, doing travel this week, in fact, uh, to a major sales conference of uh, a very strong uh, regional slash national player, um, one of the greatest areas of, of concern is, first of all, just the overall cost shift to employers and the ever escalating um, price uh, and, and the, the squeeze on our clients, uh, particularly in the area of prescription drugs and specialty drugs, um, even more so. Um, everyone knows that the big three uh, control more than 80% of the PBM market. Everyone in the brokerage space knows that at the end of 2020, uh, the, the Comprehensive uh, Consolidated uh, Appropriations Act uh, contained um, many provisions with respect to healthcare transparency that were aimed at the entirety of the healthcare ecosystem, including brokerage. And we work with Congress on that language. We work really hard. Uh, and essentially what it did was that it took the retrospective uh, reporting requirements for ERISA plans on broker compensation and made them prospective. We worked very aggressively with a swath of our members to develop a toolkit for compliance there. We worked with the Labor Department uh, and so far, so good. Um, however, the PBM industry, in particular the big three, say that these provisions do not apply to them. Transparency does not apply to them in the contractual relationships that they have. We say BS on that. And uh, like many others, uh, other voices in this town, I think, you know, despite the dysfunction and polarization and reality that not a lot of things are gonna get to the finish line, 
before the next uh, election uh, in Congress. Uh, I think that there is a, a rising storm of activity on this and outrage, um, rightfully so, on PBMs. Uh, and so we're seeing legislation, both the House and the Senate, and we're out there promoting the very simple notion that the same kind of reporting requirements uh, on compensation um, should apply to PBMs just the same way that they do to commercial brokers. That's right. And the momentum that we're seeing on this issue in this Congress, I think, is pretty remarkable considering how polarized they are on a lot of the big picture issues. And I'm hearing from a lot of offices that helped craft the quote unquote Inflation Reduction Act, which was really a big health care bill. Uh, but the reason that this that PBM transparency and PBM reforms weren't in that bill particularly was because Pelosi was so focused on getting her pet projects or her priorities, which had been her priorities for over a decade into that bill. This just didn't make that list. Uh, so now that that is behind us and with new leadership, uh, this is quickly becoming a top priority for members of both sides of the aisle. And we're, we've already seen one big hearing in the Senate Commerce Committee uh, on uh, separate legislation uh, with uh, Chairwoman Maria Cantwell and Ranking Member Chuck Grassley. Uh, there's going to be another hearing in the Senate Health Committee led by Bernie Sanders. We know that the PBM industry as a whole is coming under investigation from the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee under Congress under Chairman Comer. Uh, so we are seeing, considering we are only weeks in, we're in the first week of March, and the amount of activity focused specifically on PBMs and the role that they play in jacking up prices for employers and consumers is really impressive. Uh, and I will note that I was just with uh, about a dozen Democratic senators this weekend at a, a retreat for the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, of which we are large donors. Uh, and the number one issue that came through loud and clear was that they got marching orders from Senate leadership to find any any legislation that they can get more than ten Republicans on, focus on get that getting it through the Senate. This, they want to let they want to find legislation they can get out, kick out of the Senate and send over to the House. And it's hard not to see PBM reform legislation uh, fitting that that role, that task. So this is all to say, I think we've got uh, a, a good environment, a ripe environment for us to get our proposed changes um, into some, turn it into some legislative activity. I would only note that as the president, um, I'm move, moving away from the day in, day out uh, government affairs uh, function, but uh, I lest Joel K kick off our members, I, I shall continue to intervene to ensure that at least as much uh, money goes over to our good Republican friends. Absolutely. Uh, this, is, this is one of those issues that they will both they will both be champions. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, Joel Kay, any other takeaways from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign, campaign Committee? Uh, aside from the big focus on fi finding bipartisan uh, measures that can be signed into law, a lot of anxiety over what the Senate map looks like for Democrats. Um, I think the most likely scenario right now, of course, we are way early into the next election, but Republicans have a five-seat majority in the House. Democrats have a two-seat majority in the Senate. Uh, it looks likely, I mean, Democrats are going to be, defend 24 seats in the Senate. Republicans are going to defend 10. Uh, of the seats that are going to be the most difficult for Democrats to keep will be Montana, West Virginia, Arizona. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a tough map for, for Democrats. <clears throat> that said, they have reappointed their the last chair, Gary Peters, who had a strong, strong ground game last time. He's focused on delivering this time around. Um, we'll see. We had John Tester has been a good friend of the insurance industry since he's been here. 
he's announced his re-election campaign in Montana. That's good for the party. Uh, but really just a lot of anxiety rolling into the next year, a lot of anxiety over what the top of the ticket is going to look like and what kind of coattails that's going to have, uh, what's the down ballot impact going to look like. So a lot of questions um, and really just focused, big focus on delivering uh, solutions right now and a lot of focus on implementing what the con what the last Congress did, uh, noting that it's, it's a divided Congress and not a lot will probably get accomplished. They are really focused on deliver on, on implementing the infrastructure bill that passed, on implementing a lot of the key measures of the Inflation Reduction Act that will hopefully lower healthcare costs for consumers. And hopefully they're hoping that when they go to the polls uh, in the next two years, people might be able to see some of the results of what they passed in the last, the last Congress. Unfortunately, a lot of the deadlines and a lot of those key bills are so delayed that some of the real benefits will not be realized by November. So their task is just, as always, communicating, communicating, and, and ground game. I, I would just on, only note that I'm sure Gary Peters is like me. I always prefer being lucky over being good. Mm -hmm. And he was exceptionally lucky with the poor quality of multiple candidates on the Republican side last time. And if Republicans next year nominate uh, extreme candidates who can't, you know, who, who, can't pull it together, then Gary Peters will have another good night next year. But you're right, 24 Democratic seats up, uh, 12 Republican seats up, uh, and who knows, there's a, a million news cycles between now and then. That's right. Yeah, I can't believe we're already talking about another election. I feel like we just had one. Yeah, seriously. Um, uh, Joel Wood, any other big government issues before we jump into this great uh, conversation you had with Representative Mike Carey? No, it's just that it's a very, it's a weird uh, environment uh, now. We, we are, we're starting to settle into what div a divided Congress looks like. Uh, and I guess I, I'd like to try to keep one hopeful note, which is that Joel's good friend, Hakeem Jeffries, and I consider myself very friendly with Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, uh, over the years, um, they actually have a decent rapport with one another. Um, McCarthy actually said that, uh, or, you know, actually, I think it was Jeffries that said that McCarthy's line to him uh, after that, you know, that shouting match of a 15 vote roll call um, uh, was that he wants to treat Jeffries as minority leader the way that he would have liked to have been treated uh, as the minority leader under Nancy Pelosi. And so, you know, in, in some ways that are not really making the news, they're trying to get along. And, and I'm completely untroubled by Schumer's strategy that Joel heard um, over the weekend of, of, you know, trying to find the bipartisan bills that can get to 60 votes um, that, that then might also... Uh, convert into bipartisan potential wins with uh, uh, the House of Representatives with, for example, the um, the caucus led by uh, Josh Gottheimer and Brian Fitzpatrick. Yeah, the problem solvers. The problem solvers. So uh, I'm, I'm a little more hopeful than I was at the outset of this conference. I totally agree. I totally agree. Like I, 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 I'm honestly the most optimistic I've been that I than I've been in several years. And I think that we're the the message that's coming through loud and clear. And this might just be noise because we're a couple weeks into it. But is bipartisanship, bipartisanship, bipartisanship. We heard that from the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee on our last podcast. Uh, that came through loud and clear from the conversation that Joel just had with Mike Carey, which we're going to play here shortly. Uh, I heard that over the weekend. I mean, let's see the the oxygen in Washington is being sucked out by the debt debate, debt ceiling debate right now. That's gonna 
roll into the summer. It's going to be nasty. Uh, so the real conversations haven't been experienced yet on that issue, but right now they are playing nice and it's it's refreshing. Uh, but, but before we have a love fest here, let me note that uh, under the new budget prepared, uh, proposed by President Biden, and, and right now where we're tracking as a country, uh, we're going to be spending $192,000 per second by the federal government. And I would note uh, uh, that the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. So we've now, ex federal spending has now exceeded the speed of light. And Republicans are only asking that there be some fiscal, you know, when you have a kid who's maxed out on his credit card, yes, you pay the debt, but you also have a talk with your kid about the use of that credit card. And so that's going to be the battle. You know, will there be any spending restraint that will be accompanied by the debt ceiling um, conversation? And it'll be interesting to see come June or so when we really do run out of borrowing authority, uh, how that plays out. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, take a listen to Representative Mike Carey from Ohio. Hello, everyone. This is Joel Wood, the president of the council today. I am a uh, substituting for my colleague Blair Bartlett, our Vice President of Government Affairs, uh, Government and Political Affairs for the Council, uh, who is en route as I speak to Singapore to the World Federation of Insurance Intermediaries. Yes, such an organization does exist. I'm bummed that she's not here though because I have um, a real privilege in being able to speak for a few minutes to a, an enormous friend of the council, an up-and-coming member of Congress, who happens to be from Blair's uh, hometown of Columbus, and I know her family uh, are still strong uh, Congressman Mike Carey fans. So, Congressman Carey, I know this is an incredibly busy week. Thank you so much for joining us on our Leaders' Edge uh, podcast. No, great, great to be with you today. Uh, well, you, Congressman, are... Um, you are not a freshman member of Congress and you are not a sophomore member of Congress. You were elected to fulfill the fill the empty seat of Congress. Our friend, uh, uh, former Representative Stivers, who left to become the head of the, uh, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and then you had to turn around and uh, and run uh, again uh, within a year in a completely different district. So and it, could you tell us first what compelled you to run? Because as I recall, it was a very crowded primary field and on a tough road to get here. It was, um, you know, for, uh, and again, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys. Um, first off, I mean, it was, um, you know, for the last, well, I started working on the Hill back in 1995. And so I spent three years here prior. And before that worked in our state Senate uh, back in Ohio. And then after I got out of that, I went into the, uh, the association world and into private sector as well. And and then I ultimately ended my career as the vice president of a, well, not ended, because I guess I got a new career, but vice president for one of the nation's largest energy, private energy companies. And so many of the people in Congress I knew, um, I spent a lot of time walking these halls and, you know, articulating on behalf of American energy producers. And so um, when the opportunity, Steve and I served in the Guard together 30 years ago. So I've known Steve, you know, since I was in my early 20s. It's hard to believe he's, you know, major general now and retiring. Um, but when Steve decided that he was going to resign, um, I, the district was, the, the way the district was cut, I lived in the district. And actually my hometown where I was born 
um, was actually in the district as well. So it was, you know, if I ever was going to run in a district and I'd always very much been interested in public service. Um, and so that's, so that's what happened. Had 11, 11 way primary. We, we ultimately prevailed in that. And then, uh, wow. the district went and then we knew we were going to have redistricting. We just didn't realize how different it was going to be. I mean, it literally, if you look at Ohio, it went from Columbus, Ohio, where I live, all the way down to basically the border of West Virginia. And so with the redistricting, it took the district from Columbus, Ohio, almost to the Indiana border. So 70% new voters. Um, and uh, we still wound up uh, the, 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 the Republican voting index was a little bit lower than what Stivers had had and or what I had in the first race, but uh, we still won up by 15 points. And, um, you know, so, but the last 15 months been very busy, as you know. That's, that's a, a wild ride, uh, and congratulations on that. But back to your, I'm sure that when you were first running, your association with the, the National Guard was probably a bigger issue than the fact that you were a lobbyist. But uh, <laughs> since you did bring it up, I'm wondering how has that experience, you know, clearly you are a success, you successfully applied those skills because you just became, in your third year in Congress, um, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is an extraordinary quick uh, ascent. Uh, but tell me how your years of lobbying and, and, and shoe leather on Capitol Hill and in the state has helped you as a member. Well, I mean, and, and, and it really hasn't even been three years. I mean, I, oh, you're right. Months, 17 months. months. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make you a sophomore. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're doing everything possible. I got two pens, so I guess I'm kind of a quasi sophomore. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think it's essential. I mean, uh, obviously, staff time is important because you, you know, you understand the needs of the the people that are around you. Um, you know, we've we've put together, I think, a very good team. And early on, we identified. Uh, that we wanted to go for the Ways and Means Committee, um, knowing that uh, it was, uh, you know, there was, a, I mean, it's a moonshot, right? I mean, to, to try to do it within under a year. Um, but you know, my chief of staff and I used to work on the Hill together back in the 90s. So he, he was a former chief of staff many, many years ago. Um, so we put together, I think, a very good, um, uh, if you want to say lobby, we, we, we lobbied the, you know, the uh, the steering committee pretty heavily. And I think the fact that uh, they had so many folks that had left that committee um, and a lot of the energy people that had left that committee that understood energy. I and mean, that's the one thing about, you know, what I did. I mean, I knew all forms of energy. It didn't matter whether it was renewables, whether it was fossil, whether it was nukes, whatever it was, and all the tax infrastructure associated with financing those projects. I mean, those, that's something that we were missing uh, on the Ways and Means. And Ohio historically always had two members. If you look back in the days of Pat T. Berry and, and Jim Renacy and, and prior to that, Portman, you know, we always had two members. And so um, we were fortunate. I got on and we've done, been, I've just been very, really happy. We had a six-hour hearing yesterday. Uh, be careful what you wish for when you get to committee, I guess. But I think we got a great chairman in Jason. I think Jason's doing remarkable things. He's, he's trying to do... Uh, these field hearings, which I think are going to be essential. We we did one in um, West Virginia, Virginia back, and then uh, we've got one, I believe it's next Tuesday in Oklahoma City. And so this is going to take us out to the real world where we can actually listen to people. One of the things that Jason wants to do is, you know, take take us out to those communities where maybe they don't have somebody representing them in D.C. and, and really hear from them how Ways and Means affects their lives. So really, really excited to be part of his team. And I think he's doing an amazing job. Um 
That's terrific. And yes, your chief, Mr. DiStefano, you were blessed to have. And um, uh, in your absence, we allowed him to be Congressman DiStefano yesterday here in our offices uh, at a little, uh, little luncheon. Um, on Ways and Means, uh, you are on two subcommittees that um, that touch uh, Social Security. Yep. And um, and we all, you know, these are insurance folks. I mean, we all know what the actuaries say that What's the what's the date? 3035 Medicare, even before then on the trust fund, the Ways and Means Committee has jurisdiction over 100 percent of the revenues uh, of the federal government and 60 percent of the expenditures right. through these entitlement programs. We have a divided government, um, razor thin margin in the House of Representatives. What realistically do you uh, aspire to, to achieve? Boy, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I think uh, what we're trying to do right now, and that's part of the reason for the field hearings, is really go out and see what the American people are, are talking about, what they want us to be addressing. Uh, you know, the, the Leader McCarthy, as well as Chairman Smith, have made it very clear that we're not going to touch Social Security or Medicare. Um, but there are a lot of things that we need to do. And one part of the hearing that we had yesterday was about reaching back. We saw so much of the uh, the COVID money that was going to, we had a study in, in Ohio where fraudulent spending of about a billion dollars in Ohio alone, $450 million were actually went to criminals. And so what we were trying to highlight yesterday through our bill and the legislation that we were putting through was that we need to be, re, we, we should be able to recoup some, some of those dollars. And, um, you know, the Democrats on the committee uh, made 13 amendments and tried to get different groups. Like if you were a uh, foster parent, you wouldn't have to pay, even if it was fraudulent. Um, if you were, uh, I forget what some of the other ones were. I mean, at, at one point, there were so many different subgroups that they were trying to say wouldn't have to pay back if it was fraudulent. Uh, one of the committee members said, well, th what's the next subgroup going to talk? If you're left-handed, you, you shouldn't have to pay back these. So I mean, this is, as we're looking at tightening the budget, we've seen the expense and going back to regular order, going back to making sure that we have 72 hours on bills and making sure that any bill that we have goes through the process, just the regular order process, I think is, is, is good for Ways and Means. As you know, Ways and Means is broken up. We have 25 Republicans. Uh, we've got one gentleman who's hopefully will be back in a couple of weeks, uh, Congressman Stubbe out of Florida, who was injured at, at his home. Um, and then we have 18 Democrats. And so I think, uh, you know, traditionally ways and means, I know it got a little partisan uh, a couple, about a year and a half, two years ago, but but for historically ways and means, much like the House Admin Committee, which which I'm also on, you know, is, is a committee that really does work together and try to find some common ground. My hope is, you know, we, we have some, we have some issues and bills that we can all agree on because when you look at our number, we need 218 to pass legislation, bottom line. And uh, so we're, we're going to have to work across party lines. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and you're right. Ways and means. Um, I came to work for a freshman member of Congress um, a long time ago, and he was a member of Ways and Means after three terms. Um, but you know, the chairman then was Dan Rostenkowski. You had these incredibly powerful figures. I mean, Kevin Brady was a great, effective chairman getting through the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Paul Ryan, the chairman before he was the speaker. Um, it's, it is a committee uh, that is foremost and has a great tradition of trying to get some things done in the middle, but it's going to be tough in this one. Quick, uh, just a couple of final questions. Yeah, First sure. of all, you guys just had um, um, uh, a two-week district work period. Um, a lot of people think that that's when people just, you know, members of Congress, when they're on recess, that's what it is. It's recess. 
Yeah. Uh, what were you doing during that district work oh, period? And, uh, and one, quite, one question we always ask, every, we're going to ask everybody in these podcasts is what are the number one issues you're hearing from your constituents? But I'll, so I'll combine those two. I, I mean, I can actually, I mean, I can tell you, and, and anecdotally, I can tell you just from when I, when I talk to people, um, but, but also we actually did a survey with, uh, with the, uh, with our constituents, um, and I forget what the size and scope of it. it was massive. It was a massive survey, but it's very consistent. I mean, the the issues that that people are concerned about really is the cost of goods. Um, uh, that's that's a big issue. Inflation. You know, people realize you know they're making in many cases the same the same dollar amount, but yet what they can what they can do with that dollar is a lot less than it was just two two and a half years ago. And that's number one. Um, and I think uh, also we've seen an uptick um, in the concern. It depends on where you're going in the district, but it, it actually crosses the entire divide. Um, you know, the fentanyl crisis that we that we have in our country with the overdoses. Everybody's you know everybody now is at least one or two people removed from somebody that they know that is, has had a, an OD or had an experience with that. And and it's not OD, and that's that's the that's the issue. It's a poisoning and fentanyl. You know these kids today. You know they they think they're taking. They shouldn't be taking it, but they they think they're taking an Adderall. And next thing you know, you know, unfortunately, they they're a fatality, and it's a poisoning. And so again, I think the border is is a, a very big issue. I don't care whether you're in Columbus, Ohio, or in Columbus, Georgia, or wherever, all points in between. Um, what we've done with the border and allowing the Mexican cartels to just kind of dictate what's going on. I've been to the border. I've seen it firsthand. But that's, you know, bringing in, um, you know, the people illegally in the, into the country, but also the drugs and the cartels are making billions of, you know, billion dollars a month off of human trafficking. And then they dial it up. Um, you know, they they know that our, they know that our border security agents are going to have to be processing agents because that's what the administration's pushed. Um, and then also then you go into um, the when they, they go and they process them and then they slip the, the fentanyl across the border. I mean, this is. So my hope is that we'll, we'll do a lot, this Congress, to address those issues. Um, the inflationary side of things, again, you, you spend as much money as we've spent just in the matter of two and a half years, you're, you're going to have this inflationary reaction. And so our hope is through the House, any way we can push the Senate and then ultimately, you know, the president to, to, to get some agreement on, you know, stopping a lot of this frivolous spending. Terrific. Congressman, you've been gracious with your time. I've got one final question that we always want to put out there. Tell us, it's still, you know, you've been a lobbyist for a long, long time. You know a lot of this, this crowd up here and a member for a short amount of time. But who's the member on the other side of the aisle that you work best with? Well, I mean, I mean, I because Joyce Beatty is, uh, you know, she and I share um, Columbus, Ohio. You split. We, I mean, literally, you go outside my district office and you walk a block. You're in Joyce Beatty's district. You go out her district office, which is downtown Columbus, and you walk a block. You're in my district. So Joyce and I have a very close working relationship. Uh, we're putting together the Civility Caucus again, which is something she did with Stiver, something that we're we're hoping that we can get. Uh, but but I'll tell you, I think the entire Ohio delegation, Chantel Brown. And I were sworn in together. We were both part of that uh, November fourth swearing in. We both won our specials in November November second of twenty twenty one. She and I have become very very close. Um, uh, we've uh, Amelia Seitz, uh, actually uh, Max Miller, and I uh, were the only two members of Congress that went to her swearing in in the district up in Akron. So you had uh, two Republicans that actually went to the Democrats swearing in. Uh, Marcy's been great on the. She and I do a lot of work on the automotive caucus together. 
Um, and then I, I think uh, Greg Glansman, who's you know out of Cincinnati. Actually, he's going to be in my office in about ten minutes because we're looking at doing some legislation together. So, my point is, I think that there's there there are a lot of Democrats. You know, we're not always going to agree on the issues. And Joyce, this is what Joyce and I've always often said: we did the, we did something at a at a at an event in in Columbus over the break. And you know, bottom line is we can disagree. Um, but we don't have to be disagreeable. And I think Joyce and I are committed to doing that. And that's why we're going to do the Civility Caucus. Now, whether that changes, you know, where we're going to be on the big issues that, we, you know, that, uh, you know, we're, that we have. I mean, but like Joyce and I partnered on the CHIPS Act, which was very important to Central Ohio. And she championed it uh, from the Democratic side and her and Troy Balderson and myself, you know, uh, uh, Troy and I myself obviously worked it on the Republican side. So there's going to be times we can work together. But I think having just that friendship, um, and I think that's what people that if they're listening to your podcast, they're not tuning into the extremes in the, in the media, because uh, so much that's that's what you see, you see the extreme, but there's so many of us, we may not always agree, but, but again, we're not going to be disagreeable. And I think we'll be able to get things done. That is such a wonderful note to, to end this on. And, and yes, I would say, I don't know your new congressman from Cincinnati, but those are all good names. Marcy Kaptur, Chantel Brown, we supported. She spoke at our legislative summit last year. And Joyce has a, been a terrific member to work with on the Financial Services Committee as well. So we're grateful for that partnership. Uh, on behalf of uh, the nation's most successful commercial insurance brokerages. We so deeply appreciate your friendship and look forward to working with you, Tom. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. That was Joel Wood, Joel Koprud, and special guest representative Mike Carey. Thanks for listening. Go to leadersedge.com for more government affairs updates or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud.